Welcome to Grace Downtown Online. We are so happy to have you here with us today. And even as I look around this space, I am distinctly missing hearing all of your voices raised in worship to the Lord. I've been missing y'all this week and can't wait until we can all gather in this space again uh, and sing to our King. Uh, in the meantime, we will continue to worship our Lord by abiding in him and listening to his word together. On that note, our reading tonight is from 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, everybody. It's good to have you tuning in. Thanks for tuning in and watching today, whether you're watching live on Facebook or if you're watching it on Facebook or YouTube afterwards. We are glad that you've joined us here as we continue in our series through the book of 1 Thessalonians, where we look at how to be good news people. Uh, before we get into that, I want you to know that we really miss you. We miss seeing you in person. We miss connecting with you. Uh, been able to connect with a number of you on Facebook and Zoom calls and through text messages, but it's just not the same. Um, we just really miss seeing all of you, so uh, wanted to let you know that, and we pray for and look forward to the day when we can all be reunited, Lord willing. Um, also want to direct you to how you can um, access information right now about what's going on at Grace, what's going on in our community. Um, you can learn how to give towards those in need. You can apply for assistance if you are in need, and you can connect to Grace. You can go to our website or our app, and what you need to look for there is Grace B3. If you search Grace B3, you'll find us online or in the App Store. And um, on the home page, you will see a link that you can click on, and there's actually multiple pages uh, some giving updates, uh, some talking about our live streams, some connecting you to help if you need help, others showing you how you can serve, uh, either hands-on um, or through financial giving. And so um, you can access those on our webpage or on our app. 
And I've got to take a minute to just say thank you so much for your generosity. We opened up a giving window for benevolence for about 10 days, and in those 10 days, we raised $41,000. And so we are so thankful for you partnering with us in this very challenging season so that we can be good news people and really support people uh, financially. Uh, Primarily, the way that's looking is we were able to donate to three local food banks who are doing good work in our community. And we've heard from them that it really changed what they were able to do uh, for folks that are accessing food. So uh, we want to thank you for that. And then also we are able to set aside some money for families in our church that are looking for help. So we've been able to help over 125 families um, through food banks, uh, each for a couple of months. And then we've set aside finances to help up to 50 families in Grace as they uh, should have need. So thank you so much for your generosity there. Have you ever recorded something, either back in the day using a videotape? If you don't know what that is, you can Google it, or you can ask someone over 40 around you. Uh, But now you can do things through Hulu, Hulu or YouTube TV where you can DVR things. Have you ever recorded something that you're really looking forward to watching? Maybe it's a season finale or even a series finale, or it's a big game that you're wanting to watch and you record it, and you have to avoid all human contact. Um, Many times this year, I would record a Chiefs game and then come to church, and I would tell people, don't tell me, don't tell me, and I would text my family, don't text me the score of the game, and you avoid human contact, you avoid social media, you turn off your phone, you turn into airplane mode, you don't meet people, you don't look them eye to eye because you don't want to know what happened in the big game or the season or series finale. What happens when you go to turn that on and you realize that either you didn't record it or you accidentally see the end, and it spoils the whole thing. I know for me that if I would have recorded the Super Bowl and my beloved Chiefs in it, and if I had not watched it live, and if I would have gone back and tried to watch it and accidentally seen what happened, it would affect how much of the game I watched. It would affect how I watched the game. In fact, I was sitting there with six minutes and 13 seconds left in the game, down by 21 points, and my brother and I started talking about next year. Oh man, is our tight end signed through next year? We started asking each other questions about next year, and then, of course, the Chiefs make a miraculous 21-point comeback and win the game. If I would have known that, it would have affected my emotions the rest of the game. I wouldn't have had that low moment because I would know, here we go, things are about to change, the ending is going to be different. Well, today in our text in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, is going to peel back the curtains, he's going to skip to the end, and he is going to show us how things end, and he is going to tell us that if we are in Christ, the ending should radically change how we live today. As we see the end, for those of us who are in Christ, when we see the end, it actually spoils nothing. And in fact, it should change our lives each and every day. Let's pray to those ends as we get into the scriptures together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word today. Uh, God, we pray that your word would speak to us today. God, we pray that you would say what you want to say through your word. 
God, we want to have ears that hear what you would have to say. God, we want to have wisdom to know how to apply it to our lives, how to submit more of ourselves to you. God, we want your indwelling spirit to do its work in us. God, we want to be your good news people as we demonstrate and declare the gospel to others during this challenging time. God, help us to spend the next few moments meditating on Jesus, your return, and how it all ends. God, we pray that we would be ready and quick to know, believe, and obey the scripture that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we open up 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're looking at the first 11 verses. Uh, We'll go kind of a few verses at a time here. We'll talk about what Paul is getting at, and then we'll take a look at how we can apply this to our life and what the implications are for being good news people. So, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord come like a thief in the night. This phrase concerning the times and seasons is used three other places in scripture, and it always refers to the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord meaning the day that the Lord returns as King of kings, Lord and lords, as he comes to set up his earthly reign, sit on an earthly throne, and set up his kingdom, his kingdom come, that we pray about in the Lord's prayer. His kingdom will finally come. That's what he is talking about when Paul says the times and the seasons. And apparently they know quite a bit about the times and the seasons. If you think back to chapter 4 in our Easter sermon, uh, Paul wanted them to be informed about their loved ones coming with Christ. But it seems they know a number of other things. And the thing that this text shows us that they knew about is the fact that Christ would come like a thief in the night. What exactly does that mean when we hear that he will come like a thief in the night? Uh, Specifically, what this is meaning is that he will come imminently. That word imminent means Christ, when he comes, it will be a sudden return, and his return is close at hand. If we look at the end of the Bible in Revelation, we see Jesus say, Behold, I am coming quickly. So as we think about Jesus coming like a thief, it means that he is coming imminently, suddenly, and his coming is close at hand. So this is information that they already know, but there's more about this that we need to learn, and we learn more about it as we go through this text. Verse 3, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. This phrase, there is peace and security, Paul is saying that the people of this world, they will say there is peace and security when really there's not. And isn't this what our culture says? Our culture and this world points to so many things and says, this is where you find your peace and security. Yet, those things are taken away so quickly. Every generation, every age, every empire, every civilization has said, 
This is what brings you peace and security. Even if you look at the last hundred years, what has been offered to us as peace and security keeps changing time and time again. We are told that technology will give us our peace and security and productivity. And instead, it often enslaves us and causes more anxiety. We were told that social media would be this great connecting point for people to come together and celebrate the things that they had in common. Yet it has been used increasingly to tear people apart. We were told that having a nine-to-five job, working 40 hours a week, moving to the suburbs, all these different things would give us safety and security. But they don't. They don't. They're fool's gold. They're a sandy foundation that is so quickly swept away. And in fact, here Paul is saying that they are swept away with sudden destruction And that sudden destruction will come upon those who have put their security and put their hope in the things of this world. And this picture that he uses is it will come on like labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. We just celebrated my 10-year-old's birthday and uh, makes me think back to when my wife, Dolly, was pregnant with our 10-year-old. She was pregnant with him, and we waited around at home for a while when she went into labor, and things were kind of progressing. We were kind of thinking, okay, this is it. And then she was like, you know what? I think I need to go for a walk. I think that would really help. So we made sure that our older son was taken care of, and we drove to a park right next to the hospital, so we were right there, and she said, I think a walk around that park would do me some good. So I parked the car, and we both get out of the car, and I start walking. And I realize after a few steps that she is not walking with me. Now, this is not uncommon because I have very long legs, and I am often walking too fast. And so I thought I had just, like, walked too fast and could turn around and find my wife just a couple steps behind. But as I turn around, I find my wife, and this is how she is standing. She is standing up against the car like this. She made it all of one step out of the car, and she's leaned over. And I walk back to her, and I'm like, let's get in the car. We need to go to the hospital. Those labor pains came on, and they came on fierce. There was no avoiding them. You can talk through, like, indigestion. You can talk through a stomach ache. You can talk through a neck ache. A labor pain, you cannot speak during a labor pain. And they can come on when you least expect them. That's the word picture that Paul is using here. That some will build their foundation. They will build their sense of peace and security, even their sense of salvation on things that in the end will be taken from them that quickly. It will look like smooth sailing for those that are living for their own kingdom until the true king comes to establish his kingdom. And then that kingdom of God that is described in the New Testament as a mustard seed that you barely see at work, that mustard seed, that kingdom that seems subtle, will no longer be subtle. 
And then in that moment, the kingdom of God will be a tree giving life to all yet crushing other kingdoms, as the book of Daniel tells us. It will be a city with endless room for every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. It will be a throne for a king who will reign and rule, and he will be a good king, and he will reign forever. And he will set up a kingdom that will not end. Look with me at verses 4 and 5. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Here Paul continues to make a contrast and a comparison. He'll continue to do so through this passage. One of the major things he's doing here is setting up these contrasts. And here he talks about the children of God, those who are in Christ being children of light and day. Meaning that in the end, the children of the light, the children of the day, know who is coming. They're not surprised by the return of the true king. They know what is coming, his earthly reign and his kingdom come, and that it affects their very lives. In contrast, the children of darkness and night, they do not know what comes in the end. They do not recognize the king or his kingdom. And when God's kingdom does come, it will not be a comfort to them. Because the true king is here. And the true king is in direct conflict with the kingdom of man. So only those living for the kingdom of God will be expecting his imminent return, and his imminent return is good news for them. Continues with these contrasts in verse 6. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Again, here, comparison and contrast. He contrasts soberness with drunkenness. He equates or compares awake, being awake, and being asleep. Over the course of the last two or three years, we have had uh, three individuals on three separate nights in the middle of the night knock very loudly on our front door. Around 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning was when all three of them happened, randomly. Um, I don't know if that's when the bars closed or what, but each of these individuals was highly intoxicated um, or impaired in some way due to drugs or alcohol or both, and they knocked on our door in the night. One of them, uh, before I could even address it, speak to them through the door, open the door, they realized that they were at the wrong place, and they walked away. The other two tried to come into our house. They tried to come into our house. They tried to open the door. They tried to get in through the window. They tried to do whatever they could to get in. A loud knock on your door is not that alarming during the day, but it is at 2 in the morning. When someone knocks on your door loudly at 2 in the morning and you are not expecting anyone, you shoot out of bed. It is an alarming experience to have someone try to come into your home unexpectedly. It's because you're not expecting anyone. 
because you're asleep. It's because you're impaired with your sleeplessness and your disorientation about what's going on. Contrast that with a loved one or a relative or a friend getting into town much after you would normally go to bed and you wait up for them or you go to bed and you wait until they arrive. Their arrival is expected. It doesn't bring about the same kind of alarm. Here Paul is saying because we know what the future holds, we should live our lives differently. That we should not be alarmed about the coming of the Lord. That we should be alert, awake, people of the day. We should not be surprised, and we will not be surprised, by the Lord's return. But for those who are not in Christ, it will be like that surprise in the middle of the night. It will be a surprise. It will be a disorderly event. It will be something that scrambles their universe because they're not expecting a king to come. And they're not expecting his kingdom. The Apostle Peter talks about this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. If you'd like to turn there with me, 2 Peter 3 verses 11 through 13 and to set this up Peter is also talking about this time and season the Lord's return the day of the Lord being at hand and what he says to the people is he is telling them that the heavens will dissolve and the earth will be made new in the last day and God will set up his kingdom and God will do his renewing work here on earth Here's what he says in verse 11 of 2 Peter chapter 3. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away and burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. He's saying that if the the heavenly uh, atmosphere and if the heavenly bodies will dissolve away and the earth will be made new, how much more should we live in a way to hasten that day, to bring about the kingdom of God? I don't understand what this means. I I don't know how to explain how our living for the kingdom hastens the day of the Lord. We know two things to be true in Scripture, and I don't know how they mix together. I honestly don't know. The two things we know to be true from Scripture is the Lord knows the day. The Lord has our days numbered, and this world stays numbered, and his kingdom will come at a definite time that he already knows. But it is also clear from Scripture that us living... For righteousness and us living for his kingdom and us proclaiming good news, the good news to the end of the earth hastens, quickens the day of the Lord. What an amazing thing to participate in. We can not only lament and pray, as we talked about last week in our Easter sermon, that we pray that God's kingdom come and his will be done. We can actually begin accomplishing his kingdom and living for his will today. And when we know the end of the story, it affects the way we live our lives. Think back with me to the example I used of the Super Bowl. If I knew the Chiefs were going to win, 
when there were six minutes and 13 seconds left and we were down by 21 points, I would have been grinning ear to ear with anticipation. Here we go. It's coming. I went back and I watched it with my kids to try to understand how in the world did the Chiefs pull this off. And right as the Chiefs got the ball and I knew they were going to score their first touchdown, I had an anticipation. I had a smirk on my face like, here it comes. Here we go. Now it's time. This is how believers should live every day of our lives. Because we know the ending. We know his kingdom is coming. We know the true king is going to return. And he is going to put to death sin and death and our enemy forever. It should affect and impact the way we live our lives. If we are living for God's kingdom, it won't be a surprise when the king shows up. It's good news for us. But if you are living for your own kingdom, the true king coming back is not good news. That's what Paul's getting at here. Let's take a look at verse 8 together. Verses 8 through 10. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet of hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Here, Paul is reminding us that we are in a battle. We are in a battle to live sober-minded lives. We are in a battle for the kingdom of God. We are in a battle to remember in our head and believe in our hearts that there is a kingdom to come. And right now, with the worldwide pandemic, it is very challenging to remember that there is a kingdom yet to come. It seems like the world is in chaos. It seems like no one's in control. It seems like no one has any answers. Our politicians and our leaders and medical professionals can't even agree on the right solution to move forward. And some think we can open everything back up full bore May 1st, and others are saying three years from now. Man's kingdom seems to be in chaos. We see that when we look at that on a worldwide scale, but we see it in our own hearts as well. When you look at your life, don't you sometimes think, man, is God's kingdom really coming? I am not experiencing what it's like to be in God's kingdom. I know I experience that. We're in a battle. And it says here that we need hope and faith and love these kind of three top things that Paul continually goes back to and says these are really the the ultimate things that a believer in Christ, those who are in Christ, should experience. So first, he says, the breastplate of faith and love. The breastplate goes over the breast and protects the heart. He's saying our hearts need to be protected, and they need to be protected by faith and love. We need to protect our hearts. We need to protect what we long for, what our affections are for, what we believe. One thing that this um, time of social distancing and uh, things being closed down in our community, something that it has shown me, and I've talked to others, that it's shown us in our own heart, is that our affections 
gets spread out all over the place. And we think that as we read books like Exodus, we think about uh, ancient cultures, or we think about uh, the Jewish people bowing down to golden statues and golden idols, and we think, oh my goodness, how archaic, or how awful of them that they would bow down to little golden statues. I don't bow down to my idols. But then our frustration mounts every day that we can't pick up coffee, that we can't go to work, that we can't go and sit at a restaurant. Now these all in and of themselves are not awful things, but they are creature comforts that show us that our affections get spread out all over the place. We say that we love God the most, but our emotions betray us. Our emotions show that our heart is spread out all over the place and loves all kinds of things that aren't necessarily in line with the kingdom of God. We need faith in the kingdom to come, and we need a love that is outside of just our emotions or romantic feelings. We need to remember that God first loved us, and therefore we should love one another. We need that love and that faith to protect our hearts. And then the head, the helmet of hope of salvation. We need to make sure our head is protected. Our head can go all kinds of places. And as we think, it leads to certain kinds of emotions, and those emotions affect the things that we do. We have to protect our head, what we're thinking about. What is racing through your mind these days? What is racing through your mind as you think about work and family and the pandemic that's going on, as you think about God, as you think about the things that have happened to you, as you think about the things that you have done? What is going through your mind? We need to be sober-minded. We need to be aware of what's going on in our mind. We need to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Instead of just letting our mind go wherever it wants to go, we need to protect our head. And here, Paul is saying that we protect our head with the hope of our salvation. The hope of our salvation. Our hope is not in everything just working out okay. Our hope is not in us being able to change things eventually. Our hope is not in this magical day where peace and joy and love are easy Our hope is based on the sure, imminent, quick return of our Savior. And we can place our hope in that based on what his word says, but also on what he's done in the past for us. If we look back to our scripture from last week, it says that our hope, our joy, our love can come from the fact of the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. Because of that fact, because of what we believe about the future, we can have joy, we can live sober-minded lives, we can live in the light, we can have peace today. That's the hope that protects our head. In 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul says, He, meaning Christ, is able to guard what has been entrusted to us. That's what Paul is talking about here as well. The, the gospel, hope in the gospel, hope in Christ, faith and love that we receive from God, those things guarding what has been entrusted to us, guarding the good news, guarding the kingdom of God that is inside of us. 
So, in light of this passage, what are the implications? What do we need to do in light of this passage? Four things. Three that are implications of the text, and one that is found right there in verse 11 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So first, we need to guard our head. We need to guard what we're thinking about. We need to first be aware of what we're thinking about, and then we need to guard what we're thinking about. And any thought that is not submitted to Christ, obedient to Christ, in line with his word, we need to take that thought captive and submit it to Christ and submit it to his kingdom, submit it to his love. Remember what is true in God's word. As we find our emotions getting away from us and we find our our mind going all over the place and thinking all kinds of thoughts, we need to guard our mind. We need to take our mind back to what is true. I know for my own life, Philippians 4 has been a huge help for me, where it says, do not be anxious, but right before it says, do not be anxious, it reminds us the Lord is at hand. We need to remember that God's word promises that the Lord is at hand. We need to remember that his spirit lives inside of those who are in Christ. We need to remember of his imminent return. We need to remember of his promise and revelation. Behold, I am coming quickly. We need to guard our head with the truth of God's word. When the enemy comes and tries to remind us of our sin from the past, tries to get us to wallow in shame, we need to be reminded of the good news of the gospel. We need to remember that it's for sinners like you and me that Jesus came to save So when the accuser of the brethren, which is what God's word calls Satan, when the accuser of the brethren accuses us and stands before God accusing us of our sin, we can agree with him, but then we can remember the gospel. We need to guard our head according to the truth of scripture and according to the gospel. Secondly, we need to guard our hearts. We need to grow in our affections for Christ for the Father's will, for the Spirit's work. We need to grow in our affections for the kingdom of God. We need to grow in a dissatisfaction for the things of this world and a deep, lasting joy and satisfaction from our hearts and our minds dwelling on what Christ has done and on his kingdom. We need to guard our hearts. We need to stop just thinking in terms if something is sinful or not, or if others will find out about it or not. And we need to base our actions based on, is this good for my heart? Does this guard my heart? Does this protect my heart for the kingdom of God? That's what it looks like to be sober-minded. That's what it looks like to guard our heart. That's what it means for faith and love to guard and protect our hearts. We need to guard our affections to make sure that they are aligned and towards the kingdom of God and the king of kings, which is the king of that kingdom. Number three, we need to demonstrate and declare the good news. This is what it looks like to be good news people, which is the title of this whole series. We are looking at not just how we're made right with God. That's of utmost importance. That's the gospel. That's good news that we are uh, united to the Father through the work of the Son. 
Christ takes our place on the cross, and in place we get his righteousness. That's the good news, but we want to then learn how to be his good news people. We have good news of great joy. It's for all people, and we need to demonstrate and declare that good news in the way we live our lives. We need to show that we know some good news about our future. We need to show and demonstrate that we are living for a different kingdom. We need to have a love, a joy, a peace that makes no sense to the world around us so they will ask for the hope that we have. We need to be ready to give an account when others ask for the hope that we have. But in order to do that, we have to show them that we have a hope, a peace, a joy, a love that is otherworldly. Because it is not of this kingdom, it is of the kingdom to come. And then we need to declare the good news. How sinners can be made right with their God. How we can exchange the bad news of our kingdom for the good news of his kingdom. How we can exchange the peace and security that are falsely offered by this world and by the flesh and by the devil. And we can exchange that for the peace and the security that comes from a sure future found in Christ. We need to demonstrate and declare that good news to a world that needs some good news right now. Lastly, we need to do what verse 11 tells us. Look with me at the text in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Basically the exact same conclusion as last week's sermon and last week's text. Therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up, just as you are already doing. I want to encourage you to encourage one another with what you've heard today. I want to encourage you to encourage others and build one another up with the good news of the gospel, reminding each other by speaking the truth in love that this kingdom that we see with our eyes is not all there is to life, that there is a kingdom to come and a king to come, and we can live different lives, lives of peace, joy, victory, love, hope, faith, because of the kingdom to come. And we can look forward to the imminent return of Christ. And we should encourage one another with those words and speak the truth and love to one another and be good news people to one another in the family of faith. I want to encourage you to speak words of life to one another this week, to those you live with, to those you interact with, those in your community group, those that you come in contact with this week, I pray that we would encourage one another with the good news of the gospel. Go in grace. We'll see you soon.